0: what's going on everybody welcome to whiskey web and whatnot your favorite podcast about whiskey web and whatnot with your hosts robbie the wagner
1: and charles william carpenter (laughs) the (laughs) third yeah because you just wanted to get a the in there with your title i am the third and you are the wagner yeah so
0: my problem is uh I wanted just Robbie Wagner, I wanted to keep it simple, like just be known by my name across the internet, mm-hmm. but it's too generic of a name. So like it's taken everywhere. There's like, I think a guy on Twitter that has like one follower and no post. So I could say he's impersonating me and take his, but then getting it on every platform
1: would be difficult. So yeah, that was the one net downside. I think of like rage quitting social media, not really rage. I don't know kind of rage <laughs> was immediately my twitter handle got picked up so then years later when i decided oh "Oh, maybe i'll come back obviously it was gone and obviously no one's posted in like three years
0: yeah and like the wagner was taken i think like wagner dev or something like a whole bunch of stuff was taken a whole bunch of yeah so
1: whatever that's what i am now robbie the wagner so yeah i loved braveheart so yeah i think that's fine Anyway, what I was thinking is as you were introducing the show is I wonder if any true aficionados of, I mean, I guess there aren't any of whatnot, right? But uh, the other two (laughs) topics are truly like, this is my favorite whiskey podcast. And they're like, these guys don't know shit. And they stop listening. And then maybe that's what tech people think, too. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's one of those things that crosses my mind from time to time.
0: Like, we're getting more followers and listeners. So, like, someone is listening. Mm -hmm. But it's like... I would love to hear from some people like if you hear this just like do you hate that we do whiskey like would you prefer that we make it different segments because like we could do like try the whiskey cut that out as its own little like whiskey tasting 10 minute Mm. episode kind of thing and just publish it alongside like the other 40 minutes or whatever i don't know i will rage quit this podcast if we stop doing that so well no we'll record we'll record the like hour still right Mm -hmm. like it'll be the same format then we just cut it up to where like if you don't want to listen to the whiskey part we'll
1: jump into after the whiskey Ah. for like the rest of it i say anyone can like Go forward if it's like, that's not for me, but I want to hear the primogen talk about things. Yeah, I don't know. Plus, that's kind of like the niche is that it is more casual and we lubricate the conversation with that. So, again, if you don't want to hear the review, sure, scrub ahead. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy. Yeah, I think it's
0: fun, though. Like, yeah,
1: I would personally want I mean, I
0: guess I'm biased because I record the podcast, but like I would want to hear that because, you know,
1: there could be funny reactions or whatever. And yeah, why not? I do think any suggestions, though, we're certainly into. So, like, if there's a whiskey that you want us to try or a thing we haven't talked about or a person we haven't spoken to yet, which obviously there are many, and we will one day become bereft of ideas. So, certainly appreciate the feedback aspect of it. Yeah. But Anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're not using Twitter, I don't know how you would contact us at this point, but... uh Hopefully, most of you still are. So, you can hit us up at uh, Whiskey Web FM on Twitter, or personally, I'm Robbie the Wagner, as I mentioned. And I think yours is what, Charles?
1: W the Third. W the Third, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, with the number three RD. There's that. There's LinkedIn, which is basically, I think I'm just like Charles Carpenter on LinkedIn. Oh, true. Yeah. You can find us by real names on LinkedIn. Something like that, yeah. So I'm not hiding from the government, so I can get my real name out. Anyway, without further ado, for those many who are interested in the whiskey segment, here today we are having Michter's Kentucky Straight Rye. It's a 10-year expression, so it's one of their more popular ones. They do not disclose the mash bill, but I'm sure there's a bunch of rye in there. Michter's has been known, though, so it's an old whiskey label that was bought out My family and I don't know that they are distilling things themselves. They used to always source from NGP. That's where I assume this is from. Bottled in Louisville, but not necessarily distilled there. This one is 92.8 proof in 10 years. I think I mentioned that.
0: Yeah, this is interesting. I was reading the little booklet about it. It's like, you know, this is from pre-revolutionary war, whatever, in 1753 and like Mm -hmm. it's been known as Shanks and bumburgers and like different names and whatever. It seems odd to me. So like if they're not making it and it's been known by a ton of different names, how can you even claim that it's like? Is it just in the same location or something? So they're claiming that they're the same?
1: No, I don't think so. I think well, they just they bought uh, essentially the trademark, mm. right? And so and then you're able to use that and say where maybe we got a a hold of the original recipe who knows maybe they bought a trademark and the original recipe and then they had someone start making it for them can't really be certain there i know it was controversial for a little bit for basically those reasons like it was an old like like i said one of the nation's oldest whiskey producers and um kind of taking that heritage and twisting it in those ways to you know to make money but that's what people are trying to do so i've had a few of their things
0: so we're all trying to do
1: yeah exactly
0: get that hustle on Mm. i smell uh some shoe cleaner
1: like a leather cleaner Mm. because you know they always kind of smell kind of leathery on purpose i guess yeah i was getting a little leathery to it yeah so what comes first the smell of the leather or is it the chemicals put into the leather you know Mm. i mean a cow doesn't smell like that right but then like the tanning process have you gone and smelled a cow i have i've been (laughs) around cows (laughs) and enough to smell them i don't have to put my nose right on them yeah that's true fairly apparent yeah i'm having a hard time like getting a little peppery like peppercorn and a little leather i smell a little bit of like
0: not fully ripe blueberries Mm. and yes lots of peppercorn
1: i agree with that not very ripe blueberries that's interesting you ever had like wine grapes from the vine (laughs) you ever been able to taste them no they're not sweet at all. They're not fruit meant to be consumed in that form for sure. And um yeah, they have a little like bitter and tartness. I mean, I don't know. I've only t- had it a couple of times. There's yeah. most wineries really aren't letting you vineyards, I guess, aren't letting you grab them straight from Yeah. But they did that in Argentina. That was super cool. I don't know, I'm getting a hint of that, like this weird kind of bittery juice in the beginning. Mm. Still feel the peppercorns and the flavor, but it like, yeah. So you said unripened blueberries, which I don't think I've ever had, but I have tasted like, I can't recall what they were. They weren't like Cabernets or something anyway, but it was just wine grapes. Like a fruit you shouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. Like it's got some of that fruitiness, but it's like not in a good way. It's kind of like what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Get a light like caramel or caramel flavor on the finish, actually very light though not too sweet but it has a slight sweetness to it it's almost like yeah it's very dry too it's almost like when you have a dry wine and it ends up like drying the back of your tongue out a little little, oh yeah some of that to it yeah yeah i'm getting a little bit of um
0: what is it i want to say creme brulee but not exactly something Mm. something toasted a toasted dessert but it's not like not creamy or sweet enough
1: to be like creme brulee so it's just kind of toasted sugar i guess hmm See, and that to me, well, you know, caramel is essentially like toasted. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, Milk, right? <laughs> Condensed milk kind of thing. But, you know, we, we each have our own feel for it. And I get a slight yeah. tinge of vanilla too. So like peppercorn vanilla and a weird bitter initial. Yeah. So there you go. So based on that 10-year hard-to-get rye, it's got unique flavors for me. Mm-hmm. I actually find it tasty. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. I can't remember the price point, but I know their their 10 and 20 year expressions are kind of hard to get, so it's on the high side of things. I think it was like 150, something like that. Yeah. Not cheap. So 100, 150. Yeah. Not crazy considered some allocated bottles in a 10 year, you know, but uh given that, I think I give it a 7. I think I'm I like it. I'm actually going to try it. I finally remembered to have some water here to add a few drops and see how it opens up as the episode continues. So, but in general, I would like say, yeah, I'd recommend this. Uh, I think it's tasty. It's seven.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That's influenced me a little, maybe, but, um, (laughs) I agree that I like it. I think I'm going to say six because I think for the price point, it's not blowing me away. I think it's very good, but I think for that much, I would rather get like four bottles of Sagamore probably.
1: Right. Right. So yeah, I'm going to say six, nothing wrong with it. Just a little pricey. Yeah. Yeah. But seven. Seven's the magic number. Seven minute abs. Yeah. Not six, man. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Cool. Well, uh, and take that with uh, what you will, with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah. So uh, I don't know how the past week has been going for you. For folks that are listening, these are published two weeks later. So if you want to do the math on what last week was... (laughs) figure it out anyway a bunch of bad shit happened like the uh ohio cloud of smoke and terribleness and uh from the train accident yeah, the derailing yes i got my bronco and it broke down immediately like i couldn't get pnpm to work to save my life i was fighting it for weeks and weeks it just felt like everything was going wrong for a
1: while Mm, i see
0: yeah so like I talked to some other people who felt similarly about last week because – so I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know if it's like a Mercury retrograde shit or what's going on, but like a bunch of bad shit's happening. Anyways, as part of that, fighting with PNPM, I have much knowledge to share about my adventures into PNPM and the modern package management landscape
1: yeah okay well i'm interested to hear because obviously there's a few of those would you like the tldr is would you wear a pnpm t-shirt i would okay i mean well it depends what it looks like (laughs) right i'm okay with it being nerdy
0: but it has to be in a cool way it can't be Mm. stupid so yeah i think pnpm i'm a believer for a few reasons i actually wrote a big document so like Mm. for work i have to write like design documents as part of being like a i don't know fancy hire like senior front end person or whatever like lead i guess so i wrote this document about like why yarn v1 is not good and why like pnpm fixes a lot of that and alternatives the only real alternative that kind of fixes those things is like yarn v3 we'll get into that in a minute but Mm -hmm. so like the problems that you have if you're on plain npm or yarn v1 are the biggest thing is like everything gets hoisted to a global node modules. Yeah. So like, say you have, what's something common? Lodash or something, right? Like probably thousands of things in your node modules have a dependency on something like Lodash or some kind of common utility library. And maybe 10 of them use version three and 20 of them use version four. And what do you get in the end? Either you're shipping a whole bunch of duplicated stuff or it's like, frankensteining a package which happens frequently where it's like oh yeah like these couple things changed like let's just change that and still ship like three but like change some stuff and you get some weird compatibility issues. And when
1: you say global hoisting you just mean to the project route. Yes sorry. You don't mean globally to your system. Okay. Yes not to the system. Because I was like does it? Wait. No. And there is the like no hoist directive but I think like you're mentioning that still ends up being like when you're compiling things you're still going to be shipping a bunch of extra stuff there yeah. unless you do some sort of resolution and then you decide, I don't know, but uh, good points.
0: Yeah. So that and the other big, I guess, selling point of PNPM is just yes, to say what you were kind of alluding to there. I think there is a global machine-wide cache of your node modules with PNPM. So, you know, if you install Lodash version 4 in any package, you're never installing that again, because it's on your global cache. So that speeds up development a whole lot. Like once you've installed once in pretty much any project, a lot of the common stuff is there. So you're never installing that stuff again. So that like speeds up your local development. It speeds up CI if you're caching everything well. It's just a good idea. So like you do that, and also it like gets rid of the hoisting. And the other big thing that Yarn B1 did wrong was peer dependencies so npm and yarn install peer dependencies by default so like you know you have a a package that says oh I don't actually want to specify my specific lodash version I just want to say your app needs to have lodash 3 or higher so cool that makes sense but uh, npm would auto install those and then you would get that hoisting thing and like you would end up with a bunch of weird versions whereas like also you wouldn't have to have it installed so like if it installs it behind the scenes, right, but your app didn't actually have a dependency on it and it was just auto-installed, then it's like a fake peer dependency. It got installed for you versus you actually installing it as a dependency of your app. So it, it has strict peer dependencies where it says, if this is a peer dependency, you must install it. And if you're importing things, like import underscore from Lodash, that has to be either a dependency or a peer dependency, or it won't let you import it because like, Theoretically, if everything did package management correctly, a dev dependency wouldn't work. So like that would be gone from the build. So if you'd had no dependency or peer dependency on the thing, it wouldn't work. So like a lot of the problems we've had with like Ember and stuff, there'll be a thing that says import like component from Ember slash component, right? So there's a couple of problems there. One, there is no package called Ember slash component. So that's its own problem. (laughs) Where there's a bunch of like turns out build weird shit but once that is patched which with like a lot of magic you also like they didn't have dependencies on it so it's like this add-on would import from component assuming your app's going to have it in this global hoisted yarn world but when you're not in that world if you haven't declared it as a peer dependency and you import from it in your package it's not going to work so like Basically, it's doing everything the correct way. Saying like, you know, get your shit actually right. Don't rely on weird, broken, hoisted, global version, mismatched weirdness. Like you actually define what you want everywhere. So there is a lot of stuff, like a lot of things you have to do where you just basically start the app, right? And then you get some kind of, sometimes you get build errors. Those are nice. You don't have to wait for the whole build to finish. It's just like you're missing this dependency or whatever. Then if it's a runtime thing... You'll get a weird thing that's like a bunch of lines of crap you didn't actually care about. It. But if you like look close enough, it'll be like pnpm PM slash node modules slash whatever slash like this package, and then you can be like, oh, like this package is importing from this thing that it doesn't actually have declared as a peer dependency. So then you have to go like either do that upstream in GitHub or like you can patch it. So there's a lot of like things in PNPM that make it good for compatibility with like getting to the new world. So you have these options to like say, you know, if you want to really kind of keep it exactly the same, you can say shamefully hoist. That's my favorite uh, mm. <laughs> option. So then it's the same as Yarn V1. So it's like if you want to start using PNPM, but you don't want to
1: do all this complex stuff, just do that. And that's like a stepping stone. Let's say you do that. What's like your immediate benefit anyway? Is it like based on the cash and how it Gets things for your system?
0: Yeah, I guess there's there's not really a ton of benefit. It's like, it's still going to give you local stuff instead of linking it, I think. And it's like hoisting it all. Still, I believe. I'm not sure. Mm. Not totally sure. But like, mm. there are like 25 options around that kind of stuff. Different hoisting patterns, different strict peer dependencies or not. How you want your workspace packages to link. All kinds of different stuff. So that's how it shines compared to yarn V three. From my understanding, yarn V three forces you into PNP, which I'm forgetting what that means now. It's not plug and play, mm. but it's like, I was going to say like, uh, I think it's basically a thing where there's like, there's not a local node modules or so. like, there's nothing telling it where the module is. It's like hooking directly to it somehow in like the global sense or whatever. So I don't know how that works, but like it causes its own issues. So like PNPM is the good middle ground where it supports full that, which I will hopefully learn more about and not sound like a dummy next time I tell you about it, but (laughs) it's got a lot of cool stuff there. So like it reduces a lot of your um, weird errors that you might get with say, like in a specific Ember case, you could have an Ember app and an Ember add on. Right. And you want, you have like your core components in your Ember add-on and you want to link the two with like Yarn link, right? So that works. But what if they all have similar dependencies, but they're kind of different versions? Which ones are winning, right? So you link it, like this is a problem we specifically had, which made me say like, fuck all this. Let's go to PNPM right now. Because it was resolving wrong versions, specifically like for an engine, because there's like this weird stuff in Ember where you can have... Things that are basically like a workspace with like an in repo engine, but it's not a real package. So it's like inheriting versions from somewhere. And when you yarn link, it doesn't update those because it's not a real package. So like that didn't work. So like converting to PNPM using workspaces and making them real packages made the linking all work. Mm. So we can just do like PNPM link to this other add-on and it will work everywhere like it's supposed to. So like using PNPM fixes some of those weird stuff definitely makes your bundles smaller and overall just files smaller i think it was like i think it made our node modules folder like half the size or something like that so like major improvement and yeah the uh it has a lot of like mono repo support out of the box so i don't have a ton of experience on that aspect but it's like from what i understand unless you're doing really complex stuff you don't need like turbo repo or you know, any of those tools, you just use PNPM out of the box. And it's kind of like a replacement for, I guess, Lerna was one of the old ones people would use too, but.
1: Yeah. Managing. So those are, yeah, uh, vastly different tool sets in a way. So you're saying that PNPM can replace not just like yarn workspaces. So yarn workspaces to the degree. You mentioned something about like Turbo Repo. So Isn't Turbo Repo kind of got like a Webpack component to it, though? I thought that that was a relation there between Webpack and that. It's maybe not a great example. okay.
0: But like like Lerna, I guess, is more canonical to that use case. Okay. So it's like, you know, if you have 25 packages and you want to run the same command in all of them with like one PNPM command or whatever, like you can do that kind of stuff. Like I never used Lerna, but I think that's what it kind of did where it's like, i want to run these commands across a ton of things at once and like sync the versions up and do all that kind of stuff like
1: yes yeah it's highly complex it does kind of all of those things that's why it's deprecated Mm. yeah this is too hard let's move on yeah (laughs) that's fair
0: that's basically my journey i don't know if i missed anything i should have taken better notes on this so i didn't bumble
1: through all this but this is what we like about it yeah the linking aspect could be pretty interesting too for like active development of packages within a monorepo, that kind of thing tends to get challenging and testing that within the app itself and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, and you said engines. So is that the whole thing where Ember engines used to be like basically separate routes or separate Ember apps? They get pulled together in a...
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was a bad
1: idea. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like... It's a
0: micro front end. Well, no, okay. Let me revert my statement. The idea of having separate apps in a separate package and kind of piecing those together. Good idea. Yeah. Ember engines, bad idea. <laughs> okay. It doesn't do that well. And kind of the big selling point was like tree shaking. So before you had embroider, it's like, all right, just put your dependencies that you want in like this route on your app in this engine. And it'll just lazy load everything and whatever. I like that idea, but now you don't need that. Cause like, if you're fully PNPM, fully embroidered, turn on all the flags, it will tree shake all of your routes and everything. So you're only using yeah. what you mean to be using at the time. So that aspect goes away.
1: And I thought it was in a way an organizational separation of concerns like let's say, you know, you can have a team working on a portion of the app that is all, I don't know, say you have like this massive management app and part of it is like a POS engine and part of it is like inventory management and another part does, I don't know, something else altogether and you could actually like more physically separate those things and teams could work independently within their app without having all this collision and, you know. So yes, but
0: That also goes away with mono repos. So you would just make that a separate package. Yeah. And it could be a normal Ember add-on with no engine stuff. And then you can just import that
1: as like the routes that you want and whatever. Yeah. I have to say that's probably like the thing I, that's the circumstance where I hate mono repos. And maybe there's better solutions to that. But, you know, having worked in some where you would have hundreds of people committing per day in sections of the app, which might have nothing to do with your stuff. But then you pull multiple times per day. And this like deeply nested, more generic dependency of yours, you know, that you need also has been changed. And the API of it's been changed. And uh, you're like, yeah, there's some really strange stuff there. And every time you pull, pool, you're pulling hundreds of commits. It's like super weird.
0: Yeah, there are definitely downsides. I think the upside, and this was biting us a lot, it's like, all right, so you have your core library that's a separate package, right? All right, so I made some changes. If you're lucky, the developer knew they were breaking changes and marked it a breaking Simber major version. Right. If they didn't, like some developers would change, you know, maybe some text, right? Probably not a breaking change. I just changed a label on something. All right, cool. That's a minor or whatever. Nope. Because a bunch of tests check that. Mm. They're like, does this contain this text? And it doesn't. So then you consume the core library in your main app. And all of a sudden, all of your tests are broken. No one can merge to core because someone changed that text. So that's something you get around if you have a monorepo. You run the tests and everything all linked together. And it's like going to catch that immediately. So that's another big benefit that we're looking forward to.
1: Yeah, the integration testing I see would be highly improved. And I agree with that. And that's probably the win enough to make the other annoyances tolerable. Yeah, but they are, are annoying. We were using uh, Git submodules,
0: which is gross. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's bad. And they weren't even really used for anything. It was used to make linking work because, like I had mentioned, if you ran Yarn Link, it didn't work. Yeah. So there was this hack where, like, if you use submodules but didn't yarn install in the submodules, it would basically only whenever you did the global yarn install it would only do like the prod dependencies and not install the dev dependencies from those or something which mm. kind of made the dependency tree somehow work mm.
1: but yeah it's we've gotten rid of all of that now and i am super happy i wonder if you could um within this episode reverse a binary tree for me i don't think so no
0: Since it's taken me two or three weeks just to, like, install PNPM and get it to work, I'm going to (laughs) say no. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, I can't do algorithms, and I'm against algorithm tests.
1: Yeah. You shouldn't need that. I think for the most part, you don't need that. I do believe that there's probably times where it is necessary. I think for, like, I don't know, in finance, possibly, there are a lot of, like, interesting algorithms there around just going through the data vis aspect of that. And, and aside from calculations needed to display things correctly to a user, uh, put, crunch them for the database, things like that. Like those, you know, very science, explicit applications, definitely. But like as a blanket, it's weird. Well, when a company is like, let's just say, for example, the company is selling like yoga pants and, um, You know, you're just providing interface flow, good UX, processing payments, very like standard things that you would do on the internet. And then like the company's like, well, you know, Google's, they're pretty successful. So we should just do the things they do. So then we're going to whiteboard people. I think that's probably what what it's come down to is like not really looking at context. Yeah. And then testing people on that in order to like create a shopping cart. It's like ridiculous.
0: Yeah. A lot of it is gatekeeping, but it also seems stupid. Because like, Mm -hmm. okay, so I can pass five rounds of algorithms. Cool. What is the job you're hiring me for? Is it front-end web development? Because if I don't know HTML and JavaScript, just because I passed all of these algorithms things doesn't mean I'm going to do a good
1: job. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of stupid. Yeah. When you talk about like news and articles and things like that, where semantic HTML is important for the machines to read the documents too, correctly. Like me knowing a sorting algorithm has shit to do with any of that. Yeah. And I think, I guess this is
0: true of all ecosystems, but I think especially in JavaScript where everything is an NPM package, like you want something really, really stupid, like I want to add a space. That's a package, right? Like, you know, (laughs) it's like one line of JavaScript, but there's a package for it. So odds are someone, if I need, like I go, oh, wow, I have like, 200 million records and I actually need algorithms to like parse and sort through this much data someone's probably written a package that does it better than I could do off the top of my head in 30 minutes right like right (laughs) I'm just going to npm install the thing that works and that's you're done so like Mm. I think the way what it should be is like it should actually run the code and it should Like, you should be able to do that. So it's like, all right, I want you to do this thing. I want you to use some kind of sorting algorithm. Then I should be able to peruse NPM, install it, and the final thing should check, like, how long it took to sort to do my, like, how well I did instead of
1: actually writing the algorithm.
0: Mm. I think that would be a fair assessment.
1: Finding the solutions. I think we've said this before. It's less about knowing the answer offhand, but about... The understanding and finding solutions. I think I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So I had another thing here. Uh, I was reading some things about changes, big changes coming to Angular, and I know that's a every day a subject that is near and dear to your heart. I mean, I, I will admit, like the tooling and everything has made massive leaps forward in improvements. So the last time I saw it, which is you know a few years ago, even. So saw this post, uh, Sarah Drasner uh, mentioning that signals coming to Angular. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, again, Mm. that's the concept out of SolidJS. I know that there's discourse back and forth around that. They didn't use Starbeam. Yeah, right. Starbeam, (laughs) which abstracting signals and allow you to apply it to libraries as a state management alternative, would say, right? Because I feel like React is continuing to try and find its special purpose around state management, right? There's just been various, various alternatives in that. And we've been clear about hooks. We don't like hooks. We think they're stupid. But I can understand in context getting state and then managing a small state in context too. Like that's the intention there. Okay. You know, there's, it does the job. So signals, yeah, signals being recognized as like, a good pattern around state management and angular is going to do it now too so then i was like oh i'm, I'm curious so i haven't looked like so i looked at the getting started docs for angular the problem is, is that it started to hurt my eyes a little bit because they still have things like directives hmm. and isn't it uh property binding class based though it is class based though so you would like that it still has it still offers classes well, what I mean
0: is, so if how do they do signals in? It would have to be decorator based, right? Or is, do they still do like a random hook outside of the class or something?
1: So the signals are coming. So they're not in the official getting started docs. She did do, and perhaps it was just on me to not go through her. Just she just created a little like one off app to walk you through like their implementation. Mm-hmm. So, but I just figured it was worth noting on like a high level. Yeah. Like, oh, signals coming, signals being a pattern that people are embracing across frameworks and different um, ideologies, right, in terms of uh, setting up your app and, and all of that. So I found that interesting and, you know, decided to give Angular yeah you know, 15 minutes just to, like, work, you know, dig through their getting started.
0: Yeah, Angular is actually, uh, they've done a lot with, like, incorporating the good parts of ember like when ember cli came out they made angular cli they make like all your scaffolding very easy they've been typescript first for a long time they've been on decorators since maybe even before ember was like they're really into decorators obviously class-based it feels like even more of a learning curve than classic
1: ember was though like there's just so much that you have to learn to use it I agree with that. Yeah. And I wonder like people coming to it now at this version, I don't know what the the learning curve is there. Cause I know that obviously Ember suffered from that kind of feedback to a degree of like, it's just so hard to get started. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I can create react app and have something in a couple hours. So, you know, there's that trade-off. And so I don't know necessarily in that sense, but I know that people who do get Ember and do like it, right. We know how they are. And I feel like it is very similar in Angular. Mm-hmm. Like there's an overlap in that way. People who've like been working with it or like even let's say five years ago, like jumped into it, like, and got it and loved it. Like they really love it. They're passionate about it. So there's like yeah. a very solid active community there. So you got to respect that.
0: The thing that's lacking, and maybe it's just because I'm not in that community and I don't know how to find examples, is like how to publish an add-on, or I guess it's not an add-on, uh, package, whatever they call it library. I don't know. I guess they don't have a special term for it in Angular. But like you know I want to write a few components and ship them as a package to you. It's like uh, so we have Angular Shepherd, and I always like struggle through getting that thing shipped because Angular will put a new major version out like every couple months yeah, and it's getting a little ridiculous but they have no way of like ember would you know they have ember try so it's like check if it works with all the new versions see what changed there's nothing about that there's no way to ship compatibility with previous stuff so if you update any angular packages to the next version it is incompatible with the previous one just because of the nature of the way it does the bundling so like it bundles your project and then it expects that version there's no way to like Like, it would, if it weren't bundled and you were shipping just the components, odds are they would still work. Mm -hmm. So, there's, like, some magic you could probably do to make it work for a few versions, but, like, I barely am able to publish it. And I'm just happy
1: that I've still been able to publish it (laughs) this long, so. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a philosophical question at a certain point, then, which is, like, you know, in the world of, of being able to, like, take in more generic libraries and apply them easier into your applications, like especially something like shepherd which requires the client and so in this whole like SSR world and all these other things like all of those thought processes around a benefit or around a wrapper is like sort of why yeah, what is the f- library or framework api adding to this that we saw necessary or that we thought was a value add like i'm starting to, like we're asking that question a whole bunch now like okay shepherd does its thing independently on its own fairly well and if you're bringing it into your app you prom- like the tools are there to do with it as you will like it's very under opinionated for reasons so like the react shepherd wrapper people complain about some different incompatibility issues because like it utilizes the the context provider pattern which has its pluses and minuses anyway And, you know, next 13 had a little weird, like compile, compile error. So like, oh, maybe we're just like over wrapping it anyway. We want to just get these things all the hell out of there, give them the library and let them implement maybe just the better suggestion is, oh, in a react app, this is the way you can set it up. This is one recipe. Yeah. Rather than like maintaining a whole extra thing that basically just does like adds one thing to the API and sets up that context provider pattern, which is pretty easy to replicate if somebody's choosing that within their app, they might be able to do other things or just decide, well, this is just client-side only, I'm gonna dynamically load it and use it on its own there. And it's a global thing, you know, I don't know. You could take a lot of choices around like best, best way to apply it in that way. And I almost kind of think the same thing with with Angular at this point. It's sort of like, what is Angular adding to that library that is necessary to even have a wrapper i mean it was kind of cool for a little while for us to say we like oh yeah we have the react component you just drop in and go
0: yeah i mean so i think two things or a few things i don't know so one is some people that's just kind of their mindset of like i found this tool i want to use it's called shepherd i'm going to look up view shepherd right see if it exists someone's maybe already written a wrapper for me i agree that our wrappers aren't doing a lot but things that they do, well, so the Ember one does because I don't know how to work the other frameworks as well. But like, so the Ember one has a service and it has a bunch of different methods on it and it has tests for that service. So that's like taking some of that overhead away from your app. If you want to just use the service, you don't need to write tests for it because you can just assume it works based on our tests. Now, the other wrappers don't really have tests. They have like, it boots up and Shepard runs, we're good. So like, they don't do much. And I agree. And those are kind of more modern packages, like Vue and React kind of have that philosophy of just import the normal one and like add it to your app and use it. And so that's probably what we should do is deprecate those. The Angular one I think, has some of the same stuff because they have a the concept of services as well. So it has some extra methods, but it does not have the test coverage because it's like karma. I don't even know what you use. Like, it's weird stuff. Right. I don't know how to write tests in, so I don't.
1: So it almost like begs the question of, okay, if the community feels like a wrapper is useful, but we don't work in Angular, mm-hmm. so we're just not the best shepherds Ah. for that particular (laughs) repo so it's sort of like if somebody wants to take it over and ask us questions when things change which isn't very frequently like awesome yeah let's do that but like yeah the effort and output isn't is not valuable and people get you know disappointed and upset so yeah maybe we'll shop it around see if there's a maintainer that wants it yeah so if you're listening to this and you like angular kudos to you for somehow finding us but otherwise, yeah, we're interested in your help and, and helping you and yeah keeping it around, if that makes sense. But if it doesn't, then see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs>
0: That's enough tech stuff.
1: Mm, yes. Bronco's arrived. Bronco broke down. Yeah. Bronco's new, but Bronco old also still somehow or another. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What's their QA? Yeah. So it's a 1970, but the way that it's a 1970 is just the frame. So, like, literally everything else is new. So, the frame broke down. (laughs) Otherwise, no excuses. (laughs) Oh, no. no. Is there a warranty on this? Like, there's so many questions. Yes. So, this is what happened. I got it. It was working fine. I drove it once. We went to the Salamander, had some dinner. It was nice. Put Finn in the back in his car seat. So, that was fun. Nice. Very cool. So, like, that was cool. Then I, like, drove it to work. Like, did the podcast. I guess the last podcast. It's only been a week, I think, since all this happened. It seems like longer, but... Mm. then I like was driving home and it started popping a whole bunch Oof. and I was like, all right, I don't know a lot about engines, but that's not good. Mm-mm. Then it started to be like the more gas you would give it, the more it would pop. And it wasn't accelerating. Mm. Like it just couldn't move. Like it would do a little, like you could kind of idle and move a little, but if you hit a hill at all, it would just stall out and you would be like stuck. Is it carbureted? Is it like yes. an old school engine? Oh, okay. So this sounds like a mix issue. I wanted some of that, like, pain of a classic vehicle right <laughs> so dumb. authenticity also if you get a modern engine in it it's like much much more expensive they have to like do re rein- <sighs> reinforcement of the uh
1: mm. frame and like different stuff anyway gotcha okay so to say a crate engine is not that expensive but i can see where like fitting it and all of that yes okay.
0: the problem was um and that they're actually really good it is all under warranty for like a year or two i think so like (laughs) i texted them and i was like hey um this broke and they were like oh okay uh what's it doing i was like it's popping i don't know a lot about engines like here's a video and they're like okay i don't know what that is from looking at that so they like drove down the next day like six and a half hours from ohio wow and like took a look at it and couldn't figure it out, put it on their trailer and took it back and like fixed it within a couple of days. It was some bolt on the engine. They weren't real specific about which one (laughs) broke. And they're like, this one is, this bolt has never broken for us before. So it seems like a freak thing, like that they couldn't have known. Sure. And they also like, when I got it, it had a hydro boost steering and brake thing where it's like, I guess, liquid hydraulic based stuff that like makes it break really well and hydro boost. yeah they called it hydro boost i don't know what but that like the steering wheel was too good at steering to where like when you hit bumps you would be like moving all over the place Mm -hmm. so i was like hey i don't really like that so they also like took all of that out put in like i guess normal power steering and like just some uh brembo brakes okay so like they were really responsive and quick and like fixed all of that amazingly fast and it's it's back now so like Mm. i was happy with that
1: whole experience despite being upset that it broke after two drives right yeah yeah they realize it's like your primary vehicle also like i'm sure most people ordering are like this is my fun car and you're like no this is my car car
0: well i mean we don't need two cars but yes if caitlin needs the car that becomes my primary car so yeah right which haggerty realizes when you go to get uh insurance (laughs) Cause I did the quote and it was like, uh, it was still expensive. I expected it to be expensive, but then like when I went to actually pay for it, it went up a thousand dollars more because they realized we just had one daily driver car. I guess they want you to have one per person and then it's like cheaper.
1: Oh, that's bull. Cause they're like, you still should be able to put They're like, what if this breaks down? And yeah, I don't know. You should still be able to put mileage caps on though, regardless.
0: Oh, I did. I put a cap on it mm. and, and yeah, I don't know. Weird. It was stupid, but, um. You know what can you do? Got to have insurance. So
1: yeah, you gotta, but don't use it. Yeah, that's the farce. Well,
0: I have a a, a GPS and cellular tracker on it, so if it gets stolen, I can
1: uh, track you down. Oh, perfect. <laughs> You'll find me in the woods, four wheel driving, mm-hmm. when I steal it, hoping it's like old school enough to where I can just you know like in the movies, where they get under and pull some wires and then it's like put a couple together and they're like. Shh, 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 shh. That's why I have the tracker because it is extremely easy to
0: steal. Mm. Like old cars, you just like pop a thing open and hit some wires, and yeah, it's good. Yeah, or
1: like smash a screwdriver into the the like yeah the key turn thing. And yeah, then you can yeah.
0: That's what people said <laughs> too. Or they're like, yeah, my favorite way of stealing an old car is just with a screwdriver. <laughs> so yeah, it's like. I was reading forums about it because I was worried about like, I want to get a tracker or whatever. And everyone's like, just get really good insurance because if someone wants to steal it, even if there's no wheels on it, they will like hook it up to a tow truck and just pull the shit out of it until it's up on the truck. So like Mm. might as well not worry about it, have fun with it and get
1: good insurance. That's fair. That's reasonable. Well, I'll remember that when I, you know, have a Ferrari that I park outside (laughs) apparently or I don't know. Probably not a massive thing. So I want to talk about this because this is a uh, top of mind for both me and you. Yeah. In a way that there's overlap, which is Ted Lasso season three coming March 15th. Mm-hmm. Did you see there's a uh, collaboration with uh, Jenny's ice cream? Mm-hmm. No. To make the uh, the biscuits into an ice cream? Oh, interesting. Yeah. His biscuits into an ice cream. No, I did not. But uh, we actually get Jenny's here. It's like originally a Columbus place mm-hmm. and then obviously used to be like more places in the East Coast. They have one in Nashville, too, actually, which is funny.
0: I think they have national distribution through Whole Foods.
1: Oh, really? No? Okay. Yeah. I was to say, like, uh, we have like a fancy grocery store where you can pay the 10 or $15 a freaking pint for that stuff. It's nuts. It's very good. It's overpriced, but it is delicious. It is quite good and they have some unique flavors. So, you know, I will probably still try it. Yeah. That's fine. If you just make it dinner, then it's cheaper. Yeah. I mean, we'll just go get a couple of pints of
0: that and watch the premiere and not eat dinner. Yeah. There you go. I like where your head is at. So did you
1: get your AFC Richmond jersey then? I did not, know. Yeah, you can go online and buy those. I, I'm i trying to think. It's like through... With the like, uh whatever the dating app sponsor is on it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All the fake stuff or whatever. Yeah, you can buy yeah. those and, and they'll actually have Kent. I think he's number five or something on the back. Mm. Yeah. He's modeled after a real player named Roy Keane, who is like "Mm," like that and was just like Mm. one of the last like old school break your legs because he literally broke a guy's knee with a tackle. (laughs) And it was retribution to something that happened to him like three, four years before. Wow. And he'd been waiting years, years. That's dedication. Got that guy and then was like (laughs) just over top of the guy like that's what you get. Fuck off. It was, it's amazing it's one of my favorite manchester united players just because he's just like the original hard man but kids don't break people's legs when you play soccer it's a bad idea yeah unless you're roy keen
0: i think when you're in the professional leagues it's different like definitely don't do that before then
1: maybe decide once you get there yeah yeah <laughs> and plus they're a lot a lot more harsh on that kind of stuff now so you got massive bands and mm-hmm. whatever else And that's also a nice dovetail into video games because FIFA 23 added AFC Richmond Mm. with Ted Lasso as the coach to FIFA. So you could play as them. So fun. Does he have lines? Uh, not, no, not really. Unfortunately, there's kind of, that would be fun. (laughs) Yeah. That would be really cool. Just (laughs) the fact that he's like there and they would show that and you can play with those players too. Mm -hmm. Kind of funny. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I heard a rumor that, uh,
0: I don't know if you read up like after season two, That they were only going to do three seasons, right? Right. But like I heard that they're thinking about continuing after three. So like Hmm. they only wrote like three seasons of content. It's like they wanted to wrap it up after three to make it clean. Yeah. But I think they're considering adding on to that. Like I don't know how that will affect the ending. But of course you should consider that. Like you're making money hand over
1: fist. Just keep doing that. It's an amazing show. (laughs) Right, right. But then like no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away. No one to run well yeah but if you
0: can squeeze out 10 seasons or something and get all the money from that the seinfeld model yeah like even if you don't end on a good note <laughs> you made a ton of money
1: like well, yeah and that sense of things but as the art and as the show that yes, i enjoy for it's like that would be disappointing yeah it, it's about soccer it's about like the american view of soccer too and then kind of campy rom-commy kind of stuff too like all of those things and on that note, too, I don't know. Do you watch Emily in Paris? I don't. I watched an episode or two and I found it a little cheesy. It's super cheesy, but it's also kind of rewarding in its cheesiness. I don't know. I uh, mm. I like it. For one, it's a drama and not like some reality TV, but it then like has some of that cheesiness. Like so many things are so un- unrealistic about it, right? Like she's going there and she's like getting by in her little, Paris apartment and apparently has like couture fashion every single day. So those two things don't really align. It's almost like friends, right? Like how did they have that Manhattan apartment? Impossible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. So, or Jerry in a struggling Manhattan. Yeah, chef. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it has those components, good production. And, you know, you start to like, you start to embrace the characters a little bit and everything else, but I guess I won't uh, give away I mean, it's not ended, but, like, man, they will end some episodes or end the season on a, like, massive cliffhanger. Like, what the hell? <laughs> now I have to
0: wait? The worst with that is when, like, it's a new show and they end season one on a huge cliffhanger and then it gets canceled. Yes. And I'm like, fuck you guys. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Just imagine what would happen? Mm-hmm. Like, that happened with uh, Resident Evil. I don't know if you watched that. That was a show? Yeah. I remember it was a movie. Every so often they remember it's a thing and make a new movie or a show about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was a Netflix show hmm. and it was very good, I thought. But I guess other people did not think. So, uh, yeah, it was good. And I was like, oh, cool. Like nice cliffhanger ending. Let me like look up when season two comes out. And it's like never canceled.
1: <laughs> there was this HBO show like, I don't know, like 15 years ago called Carnival. And it was, like, set in the Great Depression, and it was about this, like, traveling carnival, but had all these, like, mysticism, like, crazy good and evil bits to it. And uh, it was really well done. And I think they had a couple of seasons, and then you were like, what is going to happen? And they're like, nope, you'll never know, Mm -hmm. because this cost a lot of money to make, and nobody watched it, except for you, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever watch the Black Donnelly's? I did not. No. I think
0: it was maybe my favorite show. Mm. It was just about like a bunch of Irish people just like kill it. Like it's kind of Peaky Blinders vibes, but in like modern times, like Uh, killing a lot of people, stuffing them in barrels. It was on like NBC or some shit on like primetime and they had one where he like literally dismembers a guy and puts him in a barrel and gets blood all over himself and stuff on like primetime NBC. Wow. And it went off after that episode (laughs) because like, I guess people got pissed off that that happened and like, you know, network TV and someone else picked it up for like the rest of the time. So it had like another, maybe 10 episodes Mm. and they put it out on like DVD. So I like was able to watch at least one season of it, but yeah, it, uh, it was really good. <laughs> and that's why
1: I can't watch network TV. I think like yeah. network TV is so corny anymore. Anytime I like try to watch a normal network TV show, I'm just like, uh, oh, the limits you have. This is just yeah. not good anymore. How did we watch this?
0: Yeah. And all the sitcoms now are just super cheesy and shitty. And like,
1: yeah, the acting is bad. The writing is bad. That's why I'd rather watch it on Netflix. Emily in Paris. Like, yeah, Emily in Paris would be worse. If it had to be on NBC. Oh, yeah. Because they wouldn't be on location. Like, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I finished Witcher. And uh, also, did you notice that, uh, what's the guy's name? The actor that's the Witcher guy.
1: Henry Caviezel. Yeah. Superman.
0: Yeah. Did you see that he's not going to be
1: the Witcher after next season? I did not. Oh. So I watched the Witcher, like the original one. And I know there's like a newer series coming that came out recently there's like a spinoff that's like before, it's like a prequel or something yeah yeah so i watched the witcher and i was like oh that's awesome and then they had the prequel thing or whatever recently i watched one episode and i was like this is a little weird and they asked my brother like oh what what did you think and he's like oh it's terrible don't bother
0: yeah I, i'm unlikely to bother because without the witcher why do i want to watch this yeah but, yeah, so he's going to be stepping down. I think he also said he's
1: stepping down from Superman. Like, he's quitting all of his stuff. I don't know why. He's going back to uh, being a bartender at a bowling alley, I think, or something. Because, you know, that's where he was discovered. <laughs> oh, really? Yep. Hmm. Yeah. So, what's his name? Uh, Hemsworth.
0: The younger Hemsworth is going to be
1: oh, the new Witcher.
0: Uh, yeah. Liam or Chris? Not Chris. Liam. I think Liam. Chris is the old one. So, Chris is Thor
1: then, right? Yeah. Okay. So Liam. Liam. Yeah. So he's going to be the new one. Wait, one of them was with Miley Cyrus. That was Liam. Yeah. Okay. And so he's going to become Superman.
0: No, no, not Superman. The Witcher. Witcher.
1: Oh, I don't know. I might still watch it.
0: I'm still going to watch it because I think like, I think the writing is good or maybe it's just because I
1: like the game and it's like kind of true to how the game feels. Oh. But uh, see, I did the opposite thing. I watched the show and was like, okay, this is fun. Now let me play the game. Yeah. Since they had it on Switch. And it was a natural, like, it was like, I had a little bit of, like, I needed a, a Skyrim replacement. Mm-hmm. And Witcher felt like, no, oh, it's got something. It's got similar. Well, uh, Starfield is coming
0: out this year. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. So it's the next Bethesda game. Like, the people that make Skyrim. Mm-hmm. They've been making it for, like, five years or more. And it's supposed to be, like, way bigger world than Skyrim. And Skyrim was already gigantic yeah huge so that's the next thing i'm gonna play
1: is it gonna go right to switch or is
0: it gonna be a pc game i think it'll probably come out on everything but switch like switch seems to be Uh, five years at least a month behind yeah no no they're like they're getting better like it's they've caught up and now they're getting stuff but it's like not it doesn't come direct to switch on like launch day usually it's like a month or two later no no it may be too big for a cartridge, though. I don't know <laughs> like if it's that big of a game. They have downloads, too, though. You can yeah. get digital games. So. so, yeah, I'm excited for that. That and Diablo 4 and the new Zelda
1: are all coming out this year. So. The new Zelda is basically all I have time for in my life. FIFA now.
0: Oh, I have time for none of these. I just aspirationally yeah. want to buy them all.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can buy them. Yeah. And you're still in a mode where, like, maybe at 2 a.m. you couldn't get back to sleep. You could play for an hour or so. Yeah, I played some Xbox at 4 a.m.
0: the other night because Finn got up then and, like, he's going to be up for at least an hour trying to go back to sleep. And then by that time, it's almost time to wake up. So I'll just get up and have some
1: fun before the work day. Yeah. (laughs) So makes sense. That's why the Switch is appealing because I can, like, squeeze it in. You can, like, pause something and then come back to it, you know, an hour or two or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes the Steam Deck potentially appealing. Because you can PC stream yep. games and have your PC games also on that. So.
0: Or you can play in your Tesla. We started, uh, got the beta. You can download all the Steam games in the Tesla.
1: Feels like a bad idea.
0: Well, while you're charging, you can play your game for like 30 minutes. If you play it, try to play it while driving, that would be a bad idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, or can your passenger do it while you're driving on a road trip? I, I don't know how that works. Well... It goes onto the screen in the rear,
0: too. There's probably a way to say, like, just play in the back. But then also the front screen, I think, in the newer ones, or maybe there's a way to unlock it. You can, like, turn it so just the passenger can see it. Mm -hmm. So, like, possibly people could play it while driving. We haven't actually played anything because we were waiting for games to download. (laughs) So we don't know how it works.
1: but. We're going to try it soon. Steam Deck. I think Steam Deck is the win. Yeah. And you can up, I mean, it's a mini Linux computer, so you can upgrade the SSD and some other stuff there too. So I find it interesting from like a a hacky tech perspective, but at the end of the day, I know I don't have time for yet another thing. Yeah. Speaking of time, we are at time here. So Whoa. (laughs) we're going to end. Thanks
0: everyone for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe. Please leave us some ratings, reviews, whatever you can do to help spread the word. Tweet about us, tweet at us, message us, do whatever. Let's chat. And we'll catch you next time.
1: Boom 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 boom. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by Shipshape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on
0: Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about Shipshape and this show, check out our website at Shipshape.io.